0: I got into private Bitcoin as a way to make anonymous payments online that were maybe more importantly, uh, evading censorship, not dealing with the absolutely scummy, slimy, uh, financial system that we have today, right? All this good stuff, permissionless person to person transactions. So that's why I got into uh, private Bitcoin, um, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, for me, I didn't care about the price. I didn't care about investment. I, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't understand the value of it, that all these people thought it was going to X, you know, dollar amount. And so for me, it was a tool. And then of course I learned about Monero, and it was an even better tool. And so, you know, really I found in the last year, there's been a huge uptick in acceptance of Monero. I think it was MOLVAD that in the last year and a half allowed you to start paying with, with Monero. And I remember just checking back one day, and there it was.
1: Monero Talk is sponsored by Cake Wallet, a trustless open source wallet that gives you the keys to your crypto. Invoice, donate, and trade your Monero with peace of mind, piece of cake. And by StealthyX, an instant exchange where privacy is a top concern. Go to stealthyx.io to instantly exchange between Monero and 450 plus assets without having to create an account or register and with no limits. Making StealthyX a simple way to purchase Monero with crypto anonymously. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you and supporting us is easier than ever by typing in monerotalk.crypto in your monero.com or cake wallet send address field to send us a tip. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews Gabriel Custodiate, host of the Watchman Privacy Podcast. They cover Monero's superiority in terms of privacy and utility, regulatory concerns about privacy tech like Monero and Bitcoin, joins, the philosophy behind individual freedom, the need for cultural changes rather than just relying upon freedom tools, and the role of adversarial thinking in protecting privacy. Monero Talk starts now.
2: all right
0: gabriel welcome to the show thanks for having me douglas happy to be here supporting the monero community it's obviously a really good one very useful tool and happy to be here
2: in full disclosure to the monero community and all my listeners i i must admit this is our second time recording this show we we attempted yesterday and to no fault of my guests at all, uh, there were some technical difficulties and really I just felt like uh, the conversation, fault of my, fault of my own, uh, I didn't really truly take advantage of the person I'm talking to, I feel like. I, I didn't really get to, to delve deep enough into your expertise and I feel like we we got hung up on an issue that really uh, was irrelevant to to where we should be going. So I greatly appreciate you doing the show again. Uh, shows tremendous tremendous amount of uh, dedication on your part.
0: Yeah, no no problem at all. I'm sure people will will speculate if you if we keep them in the dark like that. But uh, maybe maybe <laughs> we'll decide to to open up. But uh, no, ha- happy. I, I think. Um, so we were talking about the kind of the samurai wallet stuff, and I think it's it's OK to just leave that out of there because, uh, you know, regardless of our, our kind of thoughts on on them, you know, they're they're doing their thing and they are who they are. And, you know, we can certainly think of many other things to discuss. So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with the overall goal of uh, not not further creating more friction between samurai and and other communities right and so we we don't we don't want to have the opposite effect in having the conversation i will say though um i do want to give you a chance to comment on no para um because i think you have you have good knowledge there and my my intent was always to kind of get the other side me not knowing enough about um, you know, Samurai versus Wasabi, the differences technically, and Nopara's history. So I wanted to give somebody a platform here to kind of retort and bring up what the concerns are. Do you want Do, do you mind just covering those concerns? Because I think you did a really good job at, at breaking down uh, those reasons yesterday.
0: Sure, uh, I'm happy to do so and what kind of, Another thing we're discussing was that TDev, who's a developer for Samurai Wallet, did not want to to come on Monero Talk uh, because you had no, no para on. And so in Bitcoin privacy, you have to go to extra lengths to take care of your privacy. And a kind of an essential thing is a coin join, which is basically using the Bitcoin blockchain against itself. Right. You are putting in a certain you're putting in UTXOs into basically a transaction and it spits out thing. it spits out transactions back to you that very much confuse the people who analyze the blockchain. So the main two implementations are Wasabi Wallet and Samurai Wallet. You also have a join market, which is kind of a, a separate thing, not quite as seamless, not built into a, a wallet. So the Issue pertaining to NoPara. Um, so, a couple of years ago, the Wasabi Wallet tweets out that ZK. So this is this is the literal tweet. So ZK Snacks, and just to insert here, ZK Snacks is the the legal entity uh, I believe who is kind of in charge of Wasabi Wallet. So ZK Snacks will start refusing certain UTXOs from registering to coin joints. And it was a very vague tweet with a, a burning candle in the dark. And so people started scratching their heads. Like, what what does this mean? So basically what it meant was that Wasabi Wallet was now going to partner with a chain analytic company to vet Bitcoin that was going into the CoinJoin. And if they were part of you know certain lists, they were going to be rejected from using Wasabi Wallet. So this was very confusing for a so-called privacy wallet to be interacting and paying a chain analytics company to do this kind of thing. So immediately many people stopped using Wasabi wallet. They stopped, uh, they gave up their sponsorship, all kinds of stuff. So this was this was one thing that happened with Wasabi. You have other problems, which many see as more fundamental. Uh, Wasabi has a different way of doing coin joining and there have been, and, and I'll just encourage people to kind of go look into it. I have never, Done so at, at very great depth because the fact that they're vetting UTXOs is is enough for me never to recommend it. But the there are other problems with their their coin joining uh, that has not been airtight. Let's just say, and that has well people can go look into that. Um, the other thing that the Samurai Wallet team will point out is that NoPara actually doxed the uh, the names of Samurai Wallet in an article uh, in the last few years which is really just really slimy behavior. So those are some of the things that we need to recognize with Wasabi Wallet. It's not something that I recommend uh, by any means uh, whatsoever. Um, And yeah, we we can kind of just leave it at the the facts like that, but that's kind of the situation uh, with Wasabi Wallet.
2: I appreciate you breaking that down, man, and uh, being being the voice of or representing the samurai community here. I, I know, I know there are, there is you know you, you have no you play no official role there, but you obviously follow these technologies very closely. And um, I there there was concern that I gave uh, Nopara a platform, which we we won't get into the debate on whether or not there should be concern over uh me putting people on uh, my so so so-called platform um but i appreciate you getting the other side of the story out and uh, just anybody who's out there listening uh, should know i'm sure they already know all sides are always welcome on the show especially when it's regarding uh digital cash tech debate um so so if you're in the samurai community and you ever want to come on the show you're you're more than welcome but Gabriel I appreciate you uh putting that information out there this this leads me I guess to now the you know the 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 broader conversation of Bitcoin and Monero what is your take on these uh on these projects do you use them both do you store your wealth in bitcoin and then use monero for transacting you being a privacy advocate and expert give us your take there on these on these projects on these tools
0: i got into private bitcoin specifically which is a a very specific thing it means no kyc it also means making use of a coin join and the only one really these days to, to make use of is Samurai Wallet. And so I got into private Bitcoin as a way to make anonymous payments online that were maybe more importantly, uh, evading censorship, not dealing with the absolutely scummy, slimy uh, financial system that we have today, right? All this good stuff, permissionless person-to-person transactions. So that's why I got into uh, private Bitcoin um, you know, a few years ago. And, you know, for me, I didn't care about the price. I didn't care about investment. I, you know, I, I I, wasn't, I didn't understand the value of it that all these people thought it was going to X, you know, dollar amount. And so for me, it was a tool. And then of course I learned about Monero and it was an even better tool. And so, you know, really I found in the last year there's been a huge uptick in acceptance of Monero. I think it was MOLVAD that in the last year and a half allowed you to start paying with, with Monero. And I remember just checking back one day and there it was, it was now accepting Monero. So there's been a lot more acceptance of Monero, which makes it a lot more useful tool these days. And yeah, so for me, uh, I find these useful tools. I would much rather use Monero these days, obviously, uh, to, to, to spend in terms of the, the saving argument. So Seth for Privacy has guests on, who's been on my show, Watchman Privacy Podcast, He's fond of saying, you know, save in Bitcoin, spend in Monero. I think there there might be something to that. Um, I don't really overthink this, and I don't really have any hot takes on, you know, what is the intrinsic value of, of crypto. Uh, but I think for the Monero listeners who say, well, I would never touch Bitcoin, it's important to realize that it's always good to have a plan B, right? So it's it's really useful to understand a little bit of private Bitcoin and you can jump in the, the Ronin Dojo and the Samurai Wallet and the Sparrow Wallet Telegram groups and start to learn it a little bit because you never know what can happen and you never know uh, when you might need to use it. And it's best to kind of understand how it works so that you can continue to use these as the tools that they were meant to be, which is private or decently private options to transact without you know any of the scummy uh, intermediaries who want to stop you from just using a, a, you know, a money. So that's kind of how I see it.
2: What do you see as the difference in terms of utility that or value proposition that each of these tools offer? Bitcoin and Monero.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't deny Bitcoin's network effect and the sheer amount of belief that people have in, in Bitcoin, right, that is, it, it's hard to imagine that ever going to zero though i think that the the crazy laser-eyed people are going to find that the price of bitcoin might go down some because the more you get regulatory approval the less useful uh you know that that tool actually is right so um monero has all kinds of utility it's it's easier it it, it settles more quickly it's all it's much more private you don't have to worry about all the coin control for the most part, and all this other stuff that uh, that you wouldn't Bitcoin, but you know Bitcoin has going for it as I said the network effect, and we could you know we could argue about some of the uh, the development decisions that that it made, um, but I don't I tend not to get too far down that again. Uh, I want these to be used as tools, so I accept anything that I sell in Bitcoin or Monero, and I just want to be part of these circular economies and. I mostly talk about how to use these things, uh, because that's the only thing that I'm really interested in with uh, with crypto.
2: What advice do you give to people? I mean, you're 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 obviously very much uh, extreme in in your privacy, uh, extreme privacy. I'm sure I'm sure you've read this book, right?
0: Absolutely, of course, <laughs> I'm Michael sure, Bischoff. I'm, sure
2: I'm sure you've read that book. Every every um,
0: edition, everything he's put out
2: you're very extreme in 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 your personal life in how you've adopted privacy tech so what advice do you give people with regards to crypto that want to want to be private do you just tell them Monero or do you also tell them Bitcoin and if so why and what do you tell them
0: so the Advice that I would give people is any more, anytime Monero is accepted for goodness sake, use that. Obviously it is also in your interest to understand Bitcoin for the instances where only Bitcoin is accepted. Maybe you're dealing with somebody who doesn't know Monero, you can't sell them on it and they're only going to take Bitcoin. So you can, you can do that. Uh, Maybe you have this sense that Bitcoin has some kind of intrinsic value and you just want to hold that. But the important thing, Doug, for. Privacy is to always go about this with the correct operational security. Running your own node for any of these is huge. Uh, using a VPN is a big deal. I never access the internet outside of a VPN. Tor, anytime you can have something running through Tor or using a web site with the Tor browser, absolutely a must. This is stuff that, you know, we're living in peacetime for crypto right now. It is very, uh, It's very accepted, but these are incompatible with government currencies, to be honest. And so we need to have this adversarial mindset and to the kind of the Bitcoin privacy people, I'll give them credit that they kind of understand this adversarial mindset because they know that they're dealing with something that can trip them up, that is transparent. So I do find that there's a lot of interesting people in some of the Bitcoin privacy groups who, by the way, tend not to have any problem with Monero whatsoever. Uh, They're just kind of, kind of interested in the technology of Bitcoin and the coin joining and all this kind of interesting stuff. And they're obviously very in tune with our operational security. So, yeah, I mean, these are these are kind of the, the fundamentals. Uh, I think that, you know, running your own node, using Tor, uh, using VPNs, and just verifying your software, all this kind of good stuff, absolutely essential. Uh, address reuse, it's more of a problem in Bitcoin, but you want to avoid that uh, when it comes to Bitcoin. You know, you have to worry about things like coin control, et cetera, but, you know, just always being cognizant of what you're exposing and just minimizing that, if not for the present, then for the future.
2: This is, this is where I get caught in the, the samurai Monero conversation. You're kind of pulling me in, not, no fault of yours, but the, uh, the adversarial mindset, um, do you think Do you think the Monero community has even more of an adversarial mindset uh, among you know the average Monero user as opposed to the Bitcoin privacy community, or you see the Bitcoin privacy community as as more uh, adversarial?
0: Yeah. Well. I, I don't need to, to, you know, poke at the, the Monero folks whatsoever. <laughs>
2: you know, I'm just I, trying to understand that because this is where I start no, to I, be like, I don't really understand why the Bitcoin privacy community has more of that brand when they're actually less adversarial and calculating in their extreme privacy and in, and in the, in the, in their pursuit of uh creating a technology and and using a technology that can't be co-opted or controlled or surveilled in any way I feel like the Monero people are like to the point of extreme where it's it almost doesn't even make sense
0: yeah so if if this was just about privacy technology right there would you know you might say well there's always the next one there's something more to it and for Bitcoin you might call it simply the network effect uh, there are a lot of people in in these Bitcoin communities which see uh, we, which prefer the like say the economic decisions that, that Bitcoin makes. I don't know exactly you know it, it kind of varies person to person to person um, What I was simply saying is that I, I I think the the Bitcoin people they kind of wake up and, and they're hardened right they they have this sense that okay, we're dealing with something that could be exposing so we just have to be careful about it And whereas if you're kind of in Monero land, I, you know, find myself uh, saying sometimes, well, you know, this is private, so you know, do maybe I forget my VPN one time, or I don't bother going through Tor or something like this. So uh, that was kind of the only minor point. But, mm. you know, it, it 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 is the case that you can use Bitcoin if you buy Bitcoin in a no KYC manner. You're in pretty good shape. You put that through a coin join, and you have some care about your uh, coin control, and you know it's very unlikely that that is ever going to come back to bite you if you're aware of it. So, you know, is it better to have something that is automatically private? Absolutely. But uh, these people in the Bitcoin privacy community in the Bitcoin privacy communities use Bitcoin uh, quite privately. And it's certainly possible to do that. It's, it is, it is some work, but uh, yeah, it's it's not like Bitcoin's not a surveillance coin. It's not surveillance city. If you go out the right way. And so that's why you can kind of have your, your, you know, your, your your feet in between both worlds uh, you know have a plan B uh, be able to kind of swap back back and forth depending on what people are looking for so yeah I, I uh, I'm comfortably happy to be in in both worlds even if these days especially with the bloat in the the blockchain uh, recently or or rather in the uh, the cost to transact on Bitcoin in the last year because of ordinals whereas a monero transaction is is pennies to do uh, it's a much better spending tool, and the statistics bear that out. I released an episode with coin cards today, and I think you said that Monero transactions are 28%. Bitcoin was like 39%. Lightning was was almost zero. So that's pretty impressive for a coin with a, a much smaller uh, you know, network effect, uh, market cap, whatever you want to say. So yeah, Monero is a vastly superior spending tool, 100%.
2: What, what is some advice you would give to the Monero community people that are listening into this show things that we can do to perhaps um, be more adversarial um, what what's some advice you would give to the Monero community
0: yeah uh, and again I'm not I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to pick on anybody I think I think things are pretty good I just would encourage people to always you know look into Monero, right um, what makes Monero private? What are the technologies? Just spend a little bit of time looking at that. Um, don't just assume, hey, this is private and will forever be private. If that was the case, there wouldn't be, you know, hard forks that were kind of being considered on the horizon. So just be cognizant of that. Always have your operational security in check. And yeah, I I, I would just say that I think um, when it comes to any any advice I w- I would give for people in either community, I would just say let's let's make these let's use these let's use these let's accept these let's spread the word because the network effect is really what makes a money succeed or not succeed so that's also a big focus
2: any any advice that, i know it's the million dollar question but any advice there on how we can grow the usage i know i I'm out here every week on this show and then on the live Topia show, telling people, let's use it. Let's use it, giving examples of it, pointing people to resources. We're building XMR Bazaar, which uh, tends on being a peer to peer Monero based marketplace, but anything that you can think of, um, like that would, that would be great advice for, for anybody that's on board with that, that notion, what, what we can do together as a community to help make it happen.
0: Well, you would obviously know a lot better than I would, Doug, and, and you're doing great work to to spread that word. Uh, the only thing that I might say is if you if you're trying to spread the word, try to maybe approach it a, a little bit of, of a different way. We do we do know that people don't really care about privacy, but if you sell it as, hey, you're not going you'll get your PayPal account shut down for no reason whatsoever. That's not gonna happen with Monero. So if you change the wording and say, hey, you can you can transact. Uh, outside of the you know government's approval, outside of the banking approval, and you show s- different scenarios uh, to people who are let's say, skeptical of the banking system or the government. That can be another just little way to get people into it and just say, hey, look, you can put your you can put a Monero address on your website and have people pay you. And there's nothing on earth that can stop that. Uh, that's another powerful way I've found of trying to convince people to j- jump on board.
2: Ultimately, big picture, do you do you feel that we, we can win? I mean that, you know, enough of us can opt out and move into these into this world of privacy tools and, and using Monero and Bitcoin privacy tools to transact daily and c- kind of create our, our own society. Do you, do you think there's enough momentum there and it's cap- we're, we're capable of doing this or is it a, is it a pipe dream?
0: It might be possible. I don't think these are ever going to be mass-adopted. I don't think we necessarily want them to in some respects, but they're certainly not going to be mass-adopted if they are a competition to the state. Now, you can say, well, maybe if enough people are using the tool, then it kind of tilts the, you know, the culture in in one direction or another. That's certainly a possibility, but uh, I don't know. I don't know, Douglas. I, um, I've gotten this trying to carve out a little bit more freedom and privacy for myself and for the the select few who understand these things and try to spread the word but maybe at the end of the day it's just going to be one of those things uh, left for the 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 dark alleys of the internet and people who <laughs> like it and and want to use it will will certainly have an avenue uh, bitcoin satoshi open pandora's box in the sense that you can have something that is that has the properties of money and that's easy to transact with and we're never going to, and of course, the 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 blockchain, the ability to have these uh, these entities, these um, you know uh, entries that are non-replicable, that was a, a an immense uh, technological advance. And so we're we're always going to have these, but yeah, maybe it will just be a, a few people using it back and forth, and maybe that's okay too.
2: Yeah, I, I I hear that notion expressed a lot, like you know, and I guess probably it is from the bitcoin privacy communities uh, this idea of maybe we we don't want it to go mainstream uh once again i guess this is where, where i would like uh question and, and maybe disagree or try to understand um why why wouldn't we want as many people as possible using monero
0: yeah i, I think it's just sure uh, as many people using monero as possible what happens when the when everybody gets their hands on it right is that, well, I mean, first of all, people can't get their hands on it, right? Because you can't just go to Coinbase and, and, and buy your Monero. So already we see Monero is, it, you can only track it down in in certain ways. And so all right away, uh, I think we can see that it's, it's only for the people who know how to get a peer to peer or who have their, whatever is it still cracking that, that still has it listed, uh, I forget. So it's, yep. it's going to be a word of mouth thing and a person to person thing. And so I don't know that that can, and, and that's not a bad thing, you know? That's not a bad thing by any means. That just shows that the powers that be uh, see that it works. The IRS can't crack it. And they're very upset about that. They're very displeased by that. And so they're gonna ban it. And when you ban it, uh, there's simply not going to be mass adoption. It's hard to imagine that that could be the case, right? Are we really going to find people who know how to use websites like kycnot.me, and they're gonna have a transaction with somebody who is and, and you'll trade some fiat for Monero or something like this? Um, I, I just don't see it happening, and yeah, it, it requires a certain uh, a a certain amount of, of expertise and operational security that
2: uh, is just not not out there with the masses. So, so you think they're gonna ban? You think they'll ban Monero in in the U.S.?
0: Uh, they might. Uh, I think it's Dubai. That you that I learned from you basically said, yeah, you can't use privacy coins in uh, in Dubai now. Like, how can they stop somebody using Monero peer-to-peer? They can't, obviously, but they can shut down the on and off ramps, and that certainly does a a lot of work for the the normies. Um, and yeah, they're just never going to know about it. They're never going to get into it. Um, I don't want to be too pessimistic. Maybe we can convince people, <laughs> right? Maybe I, I would love to convince people and you know talk to family. And I just did a presentation with a, a bunch of, I guess, normies the other week and say, "Hey, look, look how awesome this is!" Uh, and yeah, you know they can get into it too. But it's, it's going to require a lot of work, and I don't think it will spread.
1: Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making Gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans, and if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero.
2: yeah i mean I'm, I'm obviously optimistic right i wouldn't be here and i i guess you wouldn't be here talking about the things you talk about either right if you weren't i would i wouldn't have this well this optimistic uh imagery in my background right um i i think i think there is a way i think I think ultimately if it comes down to it, uh, Monero won't won't be banned in the US. I don't I don't think there's constitutional grounding there. And obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of things that that are, are technically unconstitutional that end up coming to pass, but I think it will be a a a I think there'd be enough momentum uh, on the side of of, of pro free speech that they they wouldn't be able to to ban it, maybe they could effectively try try to ban it, right, by making it difficult for for exchanges to interface with it or people to interface with it. But I don't think there'd actually ever be a ban. Um, and you know, if there is, then obviously I'm optimistic in in the other route where, okay, well, I guess we just have to use it amongst ourselves. Um, you know, sim- similar to how we've seen with with other tools and other bans.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, wow. I think you' I think you're you're right about it all of that yeah and I think if if it will survive anywhere it'll be the United States which despite all the travesties of uh, American freedoms it still remains a a pretty awesome place in terms of of freedom and the Constitution while under assault is still uh respected by enough at least that it's it's not gonna you know we're not going to be a uh, third world. Totalitarian country too soon.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly hope not. Um, although it's 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 like boiling a frog, right? Um, how about out so how about Bitcoin privacy tools. I mean, so do you do you have a similar concern there that those will also potentially be banned or you know whatever effectively banned? Potentially. So
0: this is where the crazy laser-eyed maxis who have these just bizarre uh, cult like um, tendencies where they think that right I I make the joke it's like you go to a, a Bitcoin website and they're just talking about how you know 21 million is this magical number that God hard-coded into the center of the universe for centrifugal stability or some nonsense like this Meanwhile these people don't even use Bitcoin to transact. They just think that it has some magical value outside of its ability to transact and the number is just gonna go up. And the thing is, the only value that I really see in something like Bitcoin is the fact that you can send it back and forth, that you can transact. And so at some point that number is gonna come crashing down when you know people realize that it, it doesn't have value uh, besides that. And if it ever got to that point where people uh, recognize that that was the only value, and so they they started using it to transact. Well, that's when you could see, let's say, the government uh, kind of treat it like Monero and say, okay, um, you know, people have stopped believing in Bitcoin as an investment. Uh, it's back to being a you know a, a threat to uh, the, the the fiat system. Um, and so we're going to ban it like Monero. But you know, the the weird thing about Bitcoin is that it has all these people. It has all this institutional clout. Bitcoin ETFs, etc. I don't know what value they see in, in in Bitcoin, like these people who are buying ETFs where you don't even own any Bitcoin. It's absolutely crazy. It's just a bubble uh, that, that a huge part of Bitcoin is just this crazy, crazy bubble that we're in. And the actual use case is uh, used by very few. Um, so, yeah, maybe I've, I've kind of wandered off the question but yeah it's, uh, i guess
2: i was more focused on like uh right even recently right it's not even uh theoretical we saw we saw FinCEN proposed rules for bitcoin mixing um and actually uh yeah we said we saw that happen right and it hasn't passed yet but that's a very real move that the government is making towards potentially you know looking to ban these things right now they weren't proposing to ban it they're proposing rules where uh financial institutions would essentially have to file reports with FinCEN if it's believed that a bitcoin or a cryptocurrency mixing tool was was used uh by a customer right before it was sent to an exchange for example um so yeah i mean no know, knowing that right uh what what's your thinking there do you think that they effectively try to ban Bitcoin privacy tools.
0: Yeah, so the, the best Bitcoin privacy tool is non non-custody. And if you use it that in that way, what shows up on the blockchain is, is simply random addresses paying one another. And so you can you can actually go pretty far um, with that. But yeah, sure, the, the coin joins are a great tool for confusing confusing the blockchain, right? And making it so that you hit a certain point when you're tracking things on the blockchain where okay, you can kind of make assumptions like this may have come from here, but you cannot say for 100% certain. Um, it has no deterministic, clear deterministic link. And then you can, of course, keep doing these coin joins and causing confusion. Now, I know that Samurai Wallet is, has high on their list of things to do, making the coordinator of the coin joins, a, um, a decentralized, uh, sort of thing. So, um, if, uh, so I, I, I do think that we are are close to having kind of all aspects of that. Uh, it's already non, non-custodial. Um, and so I, I think that we're close or Samurai Wallet is close to um, kind of solving the problem of this can't really be regulated uh, feasibly. And I know as well that they are, they have in the past Samurai Wallet, this is one reason why I, uh, I give them the tip of the cap because they have left countries that they've been in in the past when I think it was the UK threatened was threatening to ban uh, self custody uh, wallets. And so they actually moved out of Britain. And maybe they would continue to do that um, until they can get kind of things completely set up where they're outside of the the reach of, of the regulators. And it's open source, you know, it's free and open source software. So if not them, then, you know, the next people. So I have some faith that the coin joins will, will be with us in, in Bitcoin for as long as, as needed.
2: Uh, let me let me ask you. Yeah, so you bring up the coin joins and uh, once again, obviously, I don't follow this very closely, right? I I, I just use Monero. Um, I I looked back at my old interview that I had with Samurai from two years ago, and it was when they were first announcing um that there would be Bitcoin to Monero atomic swaps, and it was actually a fantastic uh, conversation. Uh, I recommend people go check that out actually if they want to want to hear hear a good conversation and and samurai's uh samurai not samurai dev i don't know what to call the samurai wallet guy what his point of view is with regards to monero um and it it was great but one of the things he he had brought up at that time and i haven't been following the evolution since is that coin joints are in fact identifiable um right so you're you're not you're 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 not erasing all the history, so it's it's known that a coin join happened. Uh, is that no longer the case? And if so, what what changed?
0: No, that that's still the case, right? When you're when you're surveying the the blockchain, you can see oh, this Bitcoin suddenly now went into a transaction with with five or with four other uh, UTXOs, and what got spit out were five utxos of identical value and mm-hmm. yeah that's that's clearly a, a coin join on the on the blockchain now it's getting to the point where most or or many transactions in bitcoin uh, most utxos have a history of coin join because it's just you know it's like you have your your cash and you give it to the person at whatever kroger and maybe the maybe two two stops ago it was in a drug dealer's hands, right? And it has trace cocaine on it or something. Well, you know that's not your responsibility. That's kind of just how uh, you know at, at the end of the day, almost all cash has you know trace amounts of cocaine. So there's that argument that um, you know good luck uh, starting to discriminate against coin joins when most uh, UTXOs have a history of it. Uh, Samurai Wallet has other tools where basically you just send it to. Uh, uh, a successive amount of, of single addresses, and so on the blockchain now it just looks like okay there was a coin join, but that was five steps ago. Is that really as suspicious as you know? Do you really want to start banning uh, UTXO if it was five, um, you know, five transactions ago? So there's there's other tools in the uh, um, in their uh, in their quiver so to speak. So I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not too concerned. Uh, about it, obviously, Monero is a lot simpler, a lot easier. But uh, yeah, for for people listening in Monero, and they're like, yeah, what you know, this this stuff sounds weird. Um, it is possible <laughs> to it is possible to 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 have your uh, anonymity uh, in Bitcoin. There's uh, you know, it's not I, again, it's not a surveillance coin, um, and it's actually kind of interesting when you just kind of look at it intellectually. Some of the the tools that are available to use the blockchain surveillance against itself.
2: Yeah, I often call it a surveillance coin, um, and I haven't been convinced otherwise. I mean, well, I, I, so, I, I respect yeah. I respect the Bit- what Bitcoin privacy tools are doing to try to, um, you know, get get around the nature of Bitcoin. But fundamentally, it's it's a transparent ledger. Um, right. But I, if
0: I, I uh, if I get some some no KYC Bitcoin from somewhere, and I buy a Molvad subscription, and you know, um, you know, buy something else nobody can nobody knows that's me you know nobody in the world knows that that is me so um there it's possible to to have some anonymity um and uh so yeah
2: definitely definitely is possible but kind of dangerous and if, if you mess up or leave some other kind of breadcrumb along the way the pieces could be put back together right i mean even even with monero there there right there's heuristics that can be used uh even with with cash itself right so uh the the more f- more flaws that the that the tool has the the harder it is to to not be a victim of those flaws um let's just jump to another another topic just kind of big picture again so given that you know uh you know we're talking about being adversarial um and 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 the need to be aware of what we're up against here do you think we should Political, right? Like I, I ran for for Congress here in New York, and a big part of really the the main reason I ran was because I saw the writing on the wall with regards to where this stuff was going and potential banning, and I, I wanted somebody to be on the floor of Congress to make the pro free speech money argument, all the reasons why it aligns with, with with the Constitution and aligns with the the ideals that the United States was founded upon. Do you think that? we should be doing those types of things or we should take more of the cypherpunk approach only uh, i think i think we should do a hybrid but do you think we should take the cypherpunk approach only and kind of you know just build the tools make them unstoppable and and don't try to even you know interface with our with our overlords here yeah
0: so obviously i'm a big proponent of routing around the state and just trying to be off the grid and all these kind of good things. It is the case, though, as as you kind of referenced there, Doug, that it would be great if we lived in a society where we didn't have to do that stuff, right? So if we lived in the uh, the early years of America, even let's say the first century of America, you had a federal government that didn't really have any power and you didn't have any restrictions on your gun uh, ownership, and you had very few taxes, and there were no surveying entities for the most part, and it was a a nice um, place to be a, a free human being. And if you have a society like that, uh, you know, we we wouldn't need to be talking on you know dark corners of the internet about you know various various tools and having Tor and all the rest. Um, I don't ever want to get rid of these tools. I think they're, they're essential. Um, but I do recognize that there's a bigger fight here and that is having a society where privacy is simply acceptable. Like it was, let's say in the United States in the first hundred years. And, uh, that is a, a fight. Um, is that a political fight or, um, I tend to think that politics is, is downstream from, from culture. So, um, you know, we need to, I think, just be be better humans. Be uh, learn to to trust our, our our neighbors and have local communities and, and solve things at the local level, and um, yeah, basically a combination of these things. Um, I'm not giving up the privacy tools. I'll, I'll keep uh, using them and, and teaching people how to use them. Um, but I I don't know that you know using VPNs and Tor is going to solve kind of the underlying problem, um, which is cultural and sure political politics is an expression of of our cultures we get the governments that we deserve um so so that's kind of how i see it
2: yeah and i and i love that idea and you talked about it very eloquently yesterday so let let, let's get into that a little bit more if you don't mind i think that's a kind of a great thread to pull upon and and it's a big idea um what do you mean by that that uh you know we get we got to change the cut the culture Perhaps even you know more so than than the politics, right? That politics is downstream from the culture. Culture is where it's at. How do how do we change the culture, and what does it need to be changed to?
0: Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, and there's the argument that it's hard to you know, go back to where we were. But I guess if you just were to rewind let's let's talk about america if you were to rewind america for 200 years let's say you have a a a people who did not have a large government because they were self-sufficient and they were not litigious right they solved things in their local community let's say they had a religious network where their you know their church or whatever uh, was able to solve problems which today we might offload to uh, the state, the local state, or, or the, the county and, and the, you know, the, the state and the, and the federal government. Um, you know, there, there are one out of 300 people in the U.S. is a lawyer. So it's, uh, you know, um, we have uh, abandoned many things uh, that made uh, early Americans, let's say, uh, not need a, a large federal government. Uh, people were not, uh, people were ashamed to be on welfare back then or would be ashamed by the concept of welfare, they took care of these things themselves, right? Through their churches and and what have you. Whereas today we just assume, yeah, that's the government's responsibility. Meanwhile, the government is happy to take that responsibility and just get larger and larger and larger. So I guess I think if we look at any government overreach today, we can track that down to, we gave up responsibility for something at, at some point. And as with any kind of, uh, entity with m- monopolistic power on force. If you give them more power, it's simply going to enlarge, and it's going to take more and more, uh, more and more power uh, for itself.
2: So, s- simple solution or uh, obvious solution is opt out, right? Opt out. Build our build our own circular economy. Circular in society, right, where where we uh, are no longer a part of the quote-unquote matrix, where we're spoon-fed information and propaganda and just kind of rebuild there.
0: I'm a big fan of these things, and you might just kind of think of all your interactions with the state, right, and see, hey, what if I should just did this differently? You have trash, right? That is a city service. Well, what would I do with my trash if I didn't have them, right? Uh, they're not doing the roads. Well, what if I, you know, patched up the the roads myself? My neighbor's causing me a problem. Well, instead of calling the police, why don't I go over there and and talk to them, um, and try to work it out our, ourselves? Maybe our you know our local area has some solutions that we don't need to rely on this, on certain utilities. So if you just think about it in that way, I I do think. Ultimately, uh, those are just the kind of the um, the philosophical solutions to the predicament we're on. But you know, I'm willing to uh, consider all tools because I don't imagine that we're necessarily going to change things. And so, let's uh, let's not give up our Monero and uh, and Tor browser or or VPNs just yet.
2: And I, and I'm kind of asking the same question again. But do you think it's it's ultimately futile or there, there is a chance for us as a society to, uh, reinvent our culture and get back to the quote unquote, good old days. Uh, when everybody understood, uh, the importance of Liberty, when people understood it was a, a God quote unquote, God given, given, uh, concept. Right, where We're not asking government to provide it to us, but we know that it's something that every human is born with. Do you think we're, it's possible for us to move the needle in that direction to a large enough degree where we actually change things?
0: Maybe possible, but unlikely. And it's going to require us to give up many of the, uh, yeah, without getting to uh, without uh, offending too many people, I, I think we, I think that uh, yeah, you know, no, go up, please, please offend. Okay. go ahead. Giving yeah. up, giving up feminism, right? Giving up all kinds of things that are products of the last hundred year cultural things that have I think uh, led to the uh, led to the problem. So, uh, de- so yeah, deprogramming, right? De-, de deprogramming, deprogramming. de-programming. Yeah. Um, you know this this idea that uh, we want more and more people to have the vote and younger and younger uh, was not a product of the original American founders. They despise democracy, uh, in fact, and ha- write nothing about democracy in the founding documents. So yeah, I mean it it would be a a serious um, a serious endeavor. It would require individual responsibility at the end of the day. And yeah, I don't know how to instill that in people, but uh, sure, I'll be somewhat idealistic and say it's possible but unlikely.
2: And it seems like what we're up against has uh, ultimate ultimate power and 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 control at this point. Um, yes, we have these tools, these amazing new tools that were invented, cryptocurrency and, and Tor and all these things. But it does seem like what we're up against is is an all powerful thing that is uh, exponentially gaining power by the day. Uh, because of the way it's built with this constant feedback loop of everybody tuned in and tuned into the, you know, basically plugged into the matrix and being programmed uh, and reprogrammed and controlled. What do you think is what, what ultimately what do you believe we are up against? Is this just a natural product of evolution that we're just up against? technology or is there something more sinister? Is there some force that's looking to control humanity and is using technology to do it?
0: That was a, a polite way of saying, are you a conspiracy theorist or not? But, um,
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 what, what, what is your theory or, <laughs> you know, what is your theory? Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah. What theories so, do you I, have? Well. Yeah,
0: I don't know that I have anything too profound. I I went into this um, just assuming the the absolute worst quote unquote threat model possible. That's why I don't really talk about threat models. I just think should assume the the absolute worst and and go for broke basically. Uh, whether or not you think that we're controlled by a select group of people, or that there's an agenda to purposefully remove testosterone uh, from human males or whatever, it doesn't matter in a certain sense because I and my techniques that I talk about on my show and elsewhere, and the things I encourage people to do are for the most part acceptable to combat all of those things. So um, yeah, I, I don't know that, uh, I don't know if it's um, you know purposefully malicious or if it's an accident, I do know, and I have a good episode called Privacy and Psychopaths that there's a about 1% of the population who maybe makes up 10% of the government, who literally has the inability to see others as anything but uh, means to an end, who literally does not have a conscience and uh, is, is morally bankrupt and wants to control people. And that the influence of these people has increased, uh, the more centralization has increased. And we see that psychopaths have altered world history, whether that's Stalin, etc. cetera. You have a basically a different species of human that's uh, and this is scientific. This is not even conspiracy theory. This is just mm-hmm. the yeah, basics I of, talk about the of psychopathy. Psychopathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this is this is a group of people, and they do exist, and and they do exert control in corporations and and the government. And yeah, I mean, I don't need to look so much at the news these days. I just assume okay. I know that there are psychopaths. I know that they're drawn to power. I know that they uh, encourage others around them who are not psychopaths to kind of think similarly. And yeah, I, I kind of uh, assume the worst and, and prepare for the worst. And that's just how I go about it. I would be, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in in trying to get to the bottom of all this, but I don't know that we ever will. So uh doesn't mean I won't stop trying, but I don't, yeah, don't really have very elevated thoughts about what is the, you know, who's the real enemy, basically.
2: Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, because it, it is just conjecture, right? Uh, but I, I guess... If we could know, we'd certainly want to know, because I think that would motivate a lot, a lot more people to to be up in arms about it, which is sure. literally what we need. Um, and yeah, I I I I I often talk about this, you know, this concept of psychopaths. Right? It's it's been around forever since humans were human. There was always a a psychopath lur- lurking somewhere, uh, but historically, we've, we've always been able to topple them. Uh, but the issue now is they have. Uh, uh, an amazing amount of power at their fingertips with technology. And like you said, with the centralized systems that they control. Um, So it's, it's a question of, can, can we topple them? Um, yeah, so you're right that we've had psychopaths
0: throughout human history, uh, Shakespeare talks about, um, is it Iago? In his uh, in his play, anyway, he calls it a motiveless malignity, and so yeah, psychopaths are a they're basically a, a separate species of humans, and yeah, um, in our our current organization where we have such centralization, we have tools like the internet, which on the one hand are freeing, but can also be uh, a means for for control. And we ha- we know so much more about psychological manipulation, how human minds work, which is on the one hand a blessing, but it also allows people to be controlled, as we saw during the uh, the last three years. So yeah, there's so many more means to to control people. Um, and uh, yeah, you know the the expression ps- psychopathy is actually an interesting thing for people to look into. And again, I would encourage people to check out my episode first, um, "Privacy and Psychopaths," because. There is, on the one hand, it is a biological thing, right? They have different, um, basically different chemicals in the brain that ensure that they do not see the world or they do not have the same emotions as as humans do. Um, but there is also a cultural component to it. And um, for example, they claim that there are many more times the amount of psychopaths in the West as in the East, right? As in Asian countries. And yeah, the theory narcissism. behind that, exactly, yeah, narcissism and. Um, Selfishness to a a negative degree. I, I'm pro selfishness, right? I'm an Ayn Randian, but uh, selfishness to a uh, kind of a, a toxic degree, and so there is a cultural expression of of psychopathy, um, and yeah, they they certainly bloom a lot more in the uh, in, in our current cultural climate. But uh, yeah, can we wrest control from their hands? Uh, I do see a lot of people waking up, and uh, you know, time will
2: tell. Do you think uh, uh, Ayn Rand would be a, a Monero, Monero user? Voter?
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing about Ayn Rand was that she was not a, a uh, an anarchist. An anarchist. And so yeah. she thought, yeah. And so um, the, the, the fiat, the inflation was not as, as big a problem in, in her day. And so she doesn't talk so much about that. She's so honed in on individuals who are absolutely on, you know, pursuing their purpose. And most of the time that was architectural or, um, entrepreneurial that, uh, I can, I can see her not really caring. Uh, mm. it's kind of hard to imagine her not caring about, you know, fiat money, the fiat money scam, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, there there there's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, but.
2: And so, uh, I guess we, we could kind of bring this, this full circle here, um, or kind of talk where we probably should have started which was how how did you get into all of this i mean uh you're you're a privacy guru was it that crypto took you down this road or you were already previously going down that road and that's how you bumped into bitcoin privacy tools and monero what was kind of your arc to to getting to this place
0: so it's no mistake that the the brand started during COVID. And I have my nice little warning on my Amazon listing for my privacy guide about you know click here to learn more about COVID. I think it's because I titled one of my chapters COVID nineteen eighty four, uh, but that's just a that's just a theory. So thank you Amazon for uh, uh, having the fact checkers on top of that. Um, but so it's it's no mistake that the brand started during COVID. And for me, it was simply I recognized the importance of individual freedom, and I finally developed a a political spine, right, or a philosophical spine, and I became, uh, at the time, uh, libertarian. I'm probably even more extreme now, and I thought that privacy was maybe not talked about enough at the time. Uh, the people who were talking about privacy were, in some cases, oddly communist especially on the privacy Reddit and that rubbed me very much the wrong way. They were afraid of Facebook, but not so much their, their own governments. And so I started the brand as a, a, honestly, you know, as a way to create something, have a, you know, a, a, you know, create something, a business and give people value and, you know, hopefully get some value in return. So that honestly, that was kind of the, the main motivation in the process. I found that there was a whole lot to talk about in the realm of privacy that others were not talking about. Whether that was the the philosophy of privacy, or uh, yeah, I quickly got into uh, the crypto aspect of it, which certain people were not talking about in the privacy sphere, which is silly, you know, at, at this point in time. Um, and yeah, uh, so there wasn't there wasn't like a triggering event, right? Uh, you know, a Batman kind of uh, parents die event that that made me interested in in privacy. It was just a, a slow accumulation, and I. I know, decided one day, you know, I can create stuff that's useful to people. So on my, the Watchman Privacy Podcast, I, I interview people, uh, who develop privacy tools and you know, we, we don't just talk about digital stuff. We talk about physical privacy, uh, a whole lot and, and legal privacy and legal structures and, you know, how to, you know, learn privacy from people who have been homeless and all kinds of interesting things. And, uh, yeah, now it's just become a kind of a little bit of an obsession. Uh, maybe I go a little bit too far, but, uh, I think a lot of people appreciate my style and that I try to cover all aspects of privacy not just one aspect of it and that I lean into the politics and the philosophy and yeah so it's it's kind of developed a uh, watchman privacy has has developed a personality of its own for sure
2: and I'm I'm sure it's been a liberating experience right
0: absolutely yeah not just to have a you know a a means to be in some sense independent from all of the financial nonsense in the world, but to yeah, of course, um, I practice what I preach. So, um, like the on my Twitter profile right now, the pin tweet is showing some of my statistics. You know, I I have um, you know not connected my name to the place that I've been going to sleep at at night for the last four years. Uh, VPN usage, 100% cash only, all these kind of things, and it has been liberating. The just the sheer minimalism is another aspect that I talk about pertaining to privacy. You know, it's not about. Yeah, it's 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 not about having more things, having more encrypted messengers. It's actually about having fewer. Um, so I have some kind of counterintuitive takes on privacy uh, that I often bring out. But yeah, it's been liberating to um, kind of escape certain aspects of, of the system, and also to just practice minimalism and, and realize that you can actually get by with being almost a neoludite these days. Obviously, I learn the technology, but that doesn't mean I, I rely on it every day. So yeah, it's been a, it's been liberating in many respects.
2: I was smiling because that's it, it, very much my my nature as well. Uh, you know, we, we touched on it yesterday. Uh, one of the fondest moments in my life was when I I broke my cell phone out out of college. Uh, it was after I graduated and I had just started my, my kind of my first full time job, and my cell phone broke. I mean, this is this is many years ago. This is pre pre smartphone, but we we're still tethered to our phones at that time, texting and whatnot, and uh a week went by I didn't fix it two weeks went by two months and I ended up going an entire year without it and it was just it was just great uh I was just checking my voicemail to get back you know if if, if if the call wasn't important enough they would leave a voicemail otherwise I guess they didn't really need to get to me and it just it uh it gave me so much so much time and ability to focus on things and to focus on my my own thoughts um, I, I had, I've always been the type of guy like detethered, you know, haven't had a TV, well, I have, have a TV in my house, but kind of like got rid of, got rid of cable. One of the, one of the early people, like, you know, not, not, not have cable or anything, right. Just, uh, use the internet and get information from, from that. Um, and it's, it's definitely liberating. It's, it's kind of ironic that we live in these modern times and we have all these tools that can do these things for us, but it ends up being quite exhausting. Right, we, we because it's it's so overwhelming, and all of them are are all of these things are fighting for our time, and stealing it.
0: I agree, uh, and this is also something I, I talk about. I, I talk about lifestyle stuff. I have a, a couple of good episodes, one two that come to mind. Jason is a private person, and escaping the culture industry, and we just talk about yeah, how do we become ends in ourselves as, as human beings and not reliant on all this technology, which in most cases is not actually progressive. Like we don't need all this stuff. Uh, it's not actually making us um, better humans. I take more steps without a fitness tracker than if I had one. Um, I'm more productive without productivity software. Um, yeah, it's a, it, 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 in many cases, it, it's a trap and we need to be careful about what is actual good technology and what is just a distraction.
2: All right, Gabriel, man, thank you so much. Uh, This is fantastic. And uh, I greatly appreciate you letting me have you twice. Uh, I think this is a much better product here. Uh, Once again, no fault of yours on that first go around. That that was all me. Uh, And so greatly appreciate it. And uh, thank you, man. My pleasure. Uh, Watchman Privacy uh,
0: Podcast and you'll, you know, it's free and you'll find everything else you want to from there.
2: So yeah, it's been my pleasure. and. Hope to talk again. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Maybe we could get you to jump on a Topia show one of these days. That would be nice too.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Looking forward to uh, spreading the word with Monero. It's a huge tool, a big proponent. Everything I do, I accept Monero and uh, I give back in Monero. So, yep.
2: Thank you, Gabriel. Thank you. Cheers.
1: Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to our show on YouTube, Odyssey, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Go to monerotalk.live to subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we are always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.